All right, so this is Genesis 3, 1 through 10. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat any tree from the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, nor shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some of it to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to see, good to see you all here on this 2024 day. We had our elder retreat this week, and we were hoping for some snow, and we just got rain and gloom. So, but I'm feeling uplifted after that. Now that it's bright and sunny this morning, um, we are starting a new series today. It's our spiritual formation theme for the year, which is hearing God's voice. The primary practice, a rhythm associated with hearing God's voice is the practice of listening. Listening is this activity that we do that postures us to receive, to hear and heed what God is, is saying. We're going to have six weeks on this theme, um, and... To do that, every week we're going to start our sermon in a particular way with a little powerful practice introduced to me by our own John Blumenstein called statio. It's a Latin word that means to stop. It's an ancient monastic practice that involves stopping what you're doing before, stopping one thing before starting another, also referred to as a holy pause to pay attention to the to the transition, to the thing in between. We've been spending the last 25 minutes sort of getting here, and so we're going to stop and transition to being here in this moment. We're going to do this each week of this series just for 60 seconds of quiet and silence before we begin. It'll be our prayer time. And an easy way to practice this is we're just going to simply stop. We're going to take a breath. <laughs> we're going to internally observe what's going on in your own heart, and we're going to pray a prayer. And this week, our prayer is simply this. It's from the book of Samuel. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I want you to close your eyes. Stop now. Take a breath. Pause. Whatever you brought in to the worship service today, whatever's going on in your life, we're just pausing to observe 
and to pray. And I want to encourage you, I'm just going to be quiet for 30 or 45 seconds. In your heart, just repeat the phrase, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And allow yourself to be calm. So take 30 seconds. Open our ears, O Lord. Give us life according to your word. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. All right. Now, quiet is not something I'm used to experiencing in my home. As most of you know, I have four boys. Four boys. One, two, three, four. And when you have four boys, what you have on your hands is an ever-increasing mess. An ever-increasing mess. Wherever a boy goes, there a mess is sure to follow. You know, it just turns out toys do not put themselves away. I mean, I don't know if you knew this, but we have a spot in our home for every toy. And most of those toys spend less than 20% of their lifespan in the spot where they belong. If you bring my four children into one room and you put them in there for like 10 minutes, within 10 minutes, every single toy in the room is scattered all over. And that's where it stays, until I put it away myself or help them put it away. We have this dress-up bin full of clothes, and I, I think every time I walk in the room, it's tipped over and spilled out on the floor. I've never found it away. You get puzzles out, you get more than one puzzle out, and within a few minutes, every puzzle is mixed up Puzzles are everywhere. My two favorite phrases to describe my life and our life as a family are, it's a mess and absolute chaos. I'm not sure if you can relate to this in your own life. Often it feels like order, meaning, purpose in our life is sort of hanging on by a thread. It turns out I'm not actually alone in this, and there's a good reason for this. Because one of the irrefutable laws of nature is that in our world there is an ever-increasing amount of disorder and chaos. This is actually summarized in the second law of thermodynamics, if you remember back to like ninth grade physics class. It's this law that says that in a closed system you will never have more order, you will always have less order over time. In fact, Stephen Hawking famous physicist says, the increase of disorder or entropy is the word that scientists use for this, is what distinguishes the past from the future, giving a direction to time. If there's more chaos than there was before, you know it's the future. The world is always increasing in chaos. And to put this in just very simple terms, without constant maintenance, everything falls apart. Everything is always falling apart. And you know this, right? You have a vehicle, do you drive a vehicle? You know it's always falling apart. I recently had to replace my timing belt on my van because the belt apparently wears out and falls apart over time. It's 
increasing in disorder. Every time I sit down at my desk, it feels like my desktop is more disordered than the last time that I saw it. You ever remember the TV? Is it still on Survivor? Is Survivor still on? Probably is. If you remember, ever, you've ever seen a reality TV show? The very beginning of all reality TV shows start with this like nice package, and by the end, it's just absolute chaos and disorder. There's increasing disorder and chaos through every season. Businesses, 80% of new businesses fail because there's way more ways to fail than there are to succeed. The pathway to success is small. The pathway to chaos and disorder is wide. If you're a sports fan, you know that the beginning of the season, there's this, there's this plan to win the championship. And by the end of the season, for most teams, that plan has fallen to chaos and disorder. Leo Tolstoy opens one of his books by saying, happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Because there's a narrow path of things that make for happiness and a wide path of things that make for disorder and chaos. And it takes an enormous amount of energy to maintain order, to bring meaning and purpose to your life. And what's true kind of in the world is also true in our own hearts. I don't know if you feel this. Like my emotional state requires a lot of energy to keep at a happy state. And if I don't pay attention to it, it slowly decays into sadness. My physical body is breaking down. More than one person in this room has said, and I quote, I'm quoting, getting old sucks. <laughs> I think it was you, Gary, who said that. <laughs> right? In my mind, for every one thing I learn, there's 10 things I forget. For every one thing that I come to know, there's 10 things that I don't. It feels like I'm getting dumber every day. The more I learn, the dumber I am because there's so much that I don't know. For every healthy relationship that I have, five have ended, right? You've had this happen. For everything I focus on, there's a thousand things that I cannot focus on. And for me, at least, this is deeply burdensome. I, like, I get up in the morning and I spend my day sort of whack-a-mole style trying to solve the messes that continue to come up in my life. And for every mess I clean, there's five more. For every ounce of order and cleanliness, there's a mile of dirty. My life is a mess. Why do I expect anything different from my children? Because we can get into this unending cycle of cleaning up messes. My messes, your messes, other people's messes. We're always behind. I feel like I'm behind the eight ball trying to clean up the messes. One author says, we cannot expect anything to stay the way we leave it. To maintain our health, relationships, career, skills, knowledge, societies, and possessions requires never-ending effort and vigilance. Disorder is not a mistake. It is our default. Order is always artificial and temporary. Harvard professor Steven Pinker says this. I think this is insightful. The second law of thermodynamics, which is this law about increasing entropy and disorder, defines the ultimate purpose of life, mind, and human striving to deploy energy and information to fight back the tide of entropy and carve out refuges of beneficial order. An underappreciation of the inherent tendency toward disorder and a failure to appreciate the precious niches of order we carve out are a major source of human folly. I love the phrase, the refuges of beneficial order, because that's oftentimes how it feels. And this is not a philosophical problem, you see. This is a practical problem. The minute you walk out of here, you will deal with this problem of disorder in your life. Now you think to yourself, I thought this was going to be about listening. What does this have to do with listening 
And this is where I say, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> if you have your Bible and you want to turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, you know it well. You probably don't have to turn there. It says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now listen carefully to this next part. <laughs> and the earth was without form and void and darkness. <clears throat> darkness was over the face of the deep. Do you notice the three ways that the world is described? The earth was without form, formless. This is the Hebrew word tohu. It means chaos, useless. Some translations use the word waste, like a wasteland. There's a lot down the street from my house. Somebody bought it, they started knocking the trees down, and then they abandoned it. And it's been there for the last three years. The trees are half cut down, and it is a wasteland. You go there, it is useless. It is chaos. It is tohu. The next word in the passage is void. This is, amazingly, the Hebrew word bohu. Tohu and bohu, it's easy to remember, means empty, desolate. I was telling the story this week of a time when I drove from Reno, Nevada to Nampa, Idaho. Most of that trip is through the southeastern part of Oregon. Southeastern Oregon is as close to the moon as you will find anywhere on planet Earth. It is a barren wasteland of nothingness. I think we drove three hours without seeing a human being or a building. It was a barren wasteland of nothingness. It was void. And the third word is dark, without light. Darkness we associate with pain and confusion and despair and terror and ignorance. Eugene Peterson translates in the message this verse, Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness and inky blackness. You see, the natural state of things is non-existence, empty, disordered, dark, full of entropy. Existence is light and meaning and purpose, the very things that God brings into the world. And if you just ponder with me for a moment the horror of non-existence, the horror of chaos, the horror of Darkness, and this is what death is. Death is a return to non-existence. The next verse says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The waters is used throughout the whole scripture is this Jewish metaphor for chaos and darkness and danger. And the very beginning of the story, this is where we begin. Chaos, emptiness, darkness. And I want you to take a moment to ponder this. I think this is more profound than we realize. That if we're going to take the Bible seriously, it needs to meet us where we find ourselves. And where do we find ourselves? Fighting off the chaos and disorder and darkness of the world, of our own lives. In a constant struggle to make meaning and order, to bring light and understanding. We're constantly in this struggle and you open the first page of the Bible and it's like, hey, everything started in chaos and disorder. This is a universal problem that needs to be solved. Darkness, disorder, chaos, and the trend towards that. Secondly, we need to know that the Bible is going to help us solve this problem. And we get this in the very next verse. And God said. And God said. Into the barren wasteland and horror of nothingness comes the voice of God. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. 
Into darkness, God, his voice brings light. Into disorder, God's voice brings order. Into emptiness, God's voice brings meaning. And the rest of Genesis 1 and 2 is this litany of God's voice bringing beauty and order and meaning and filling. It's an ordering and filling of the inky black chaos and nonsense of non-being with beauty. The best way I could come up to illustrate this is to steal someone else's illustration, and that's C.S. Lewis, as you might imagine. This is from The Magician's Nephew, and it's, a, it's an account that C.S. Lewis gives of Aslan creating Narnia, and it's worth an extended read for its imagery. In the darkness, something was happening at last. A voice had begun to sing. It was very far away, and Diggory, he's the character, found it hard to decide from what direction it was coming. Sometimes it seemed to come from all directions at once. Sometimes he almost thought it was coming out of the earth below them. Its lower notes were deep enough to be the voice of the earth herself. There were no words. It was hardly a tune, but it was beyond comparison. The most beautiful sound he had ever heard. It was so beautiful he could hardly bear it. Then two wonders happened at the same moment. One was that the voice was suddenly joined by other voices, more voices than you could possibly count. They were in harmony with it, but far higher up the scale, cold, tingly, silvery voices. The second wonder was that the blackness overhead all at once was blazing with stars. They didn't come out gently one by one as they do on a summer evening. One moment there had been nothing but darkness. Next moment, a thousand, thousand points of light leaped out. Single stars, constellations, and planets, brighter and bigger than any in our world. There were no clouds. The new stars and the new voices began at exactly the same time. If you had seen and heard it as Diggory did, you would have felt quite certain that it was the stars themselves who were singing and that it was the first voice, the deep one, which had made them appear and made them sing. It's such a beautiful illustration of what God's voice does bringing order and beauty and purpose, order to chaos, light to darkness, purpose to emptiness. I want to just pause for a second because one of the things I love about C.S. Lewis's description here is the recognition that God is not speaking in a human language. When it says, and God said, he didn't say in Hebrew, into the inky blackness, let there be light. We're not talking about human language. God has no mouth. There's no physical words that he's speaking. In the Bible, when we're talking about God's voice, what we're talking about, the outward expression of God's intention and his will. You know, like when you, when you, want, some, when you want to move your hand, you don't have to say any words. You just do it. In the Bible, that's what God does. He thinks, he desires, and things happen. And the Bible calls that God's voice or God's word. Maybe it's better to translate Genesis 1-3 as, and God desired there to be light, and there was light. When God desires something and it comes into external action, that's called God's voice. Dallas Willard said, the voice of God is invisible. It is spiritual reality that produces all that is visible. I can't overstate how important that point is for everything I'm going to say about this for the rest of this year. God's voice is everything that God does that expresses his mind and intention in the outside world. Don't miss this. I, it's like a big red box here in my notes. Maybe if you have a red pen, like click your red pen on, circle this. 
God's voice. When I talk about God's voice, when the Bible talks about God's voice, God's word, it's not talking about human language merely, but any outward expression of God's will and intention and desire in the world. Whatever else the Bible is about, it is irreducibly centrally about God's voice about God speaking, about a God who speaks, who moves into chaos and disorder and formlessness and darkness and brings order and meaning and purpose and light through that voice. That is what the story is about. From this very first verse, and God said, and you see it the rest of the Bible, almost every story has God's voice, and the stories themselves are the words of God, as we know from our understanding of what the scriptures are. The story is God speaking into the world, bringing order and goodness and beauty. And the whole story is organized around this point. And sometimes God speaks with human language, but many, many other times he speaks in a thousand other ways. I love the the hymn, This is My Father's World. The one line, this is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. The voice of God is here all around us, bringing order and beauty and goodness. But it's what happens next in the story that I want to draw your attention to. Because God speaks, he orders and fills the darkness with the sun, the moon, the stars. With, we had an owl outside our house last night. It was super cool. With fish, with deer, with whatever else you can imagine, God fills it. He orders it, he creates structure, and then he fills it up. This is what God's voice does. And then towards the end, he does this crazy thing where he creates human beings. And he gives them the capacity to listen and respond to his voice. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. He creates this space and then he puts Adam in and he says, hey, I'm going to make a refuge of beneficial order for you now. You go in and you enjoy that. And he invites human beings to order and fill the world with him. But then God says something even more incredible in verse 16. And the Lord God said to the man, you may surely eat of any tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. In other words, you have a choice whether you want to listen to my voice or not. You have a choice. My voice brings order and beauty. It creates beneficial refuge and order. And I'm going to put you in there and let you listen to it, but you have the choice to ignore it. Verse 17, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall not surely die. That is not a threat. That's simply a statement of fact. Ignore the voice of God to your own peril. The voice of God is the only thing that creates order and meaning and brings light. You ignore it. We ignore it to our own peril. We head back when we ignore the voice of God towards disorder and chaos and darkness. And we know what happens next in the story. Genesis 3, verse 1, our text today. Did God really say? That's what the serpent says. Did God really say? 
You see how this is focused directly on the voice of God. Did God really say that? Does God really have your best interest at heart? You know, you don't, you don't need that. You can create your own order. You can create your own meaning. You can create your own light. And Eve says, that sounds good. I can do that. I can be like God, bringing order and meaning and purpose and light into the world. And so when the woman saw in verse 6 that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. This is Eve's choice to resist the voice of God and to bring her own order and her own meaning and her own light into her surroundings. And what happens next? These are the two verses, three verses I want to focus on. I brought these. Listen to this. This is what happens. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. The Hebrew word translated as sound is the same Hebrew word that means voice. The Hebrew word translated as cool of the day is the Hebrew word ruach, which is spirit, wind, or breath. They heard the voice of God walking in the garden. He was breathing out to them. It's this singing sound from C.S. Lewis. And what did they do? They ran away and they hid. And this, my friends, is the great tragedy of humanity. In a world that is the result of God's voice, humanity runs away and hides. This is the pivot point in the whole story. Resisting, rejecting, ignoring the voice of God. Later on in The Magician's Nephew, Aslan, the lion, is speaking to Diggory, the main character, about his uncle Andrew, who's experiencing the creation by plugging his ears. And this is what he says to him. Aslan's telling Diggory this about Uncle Andrew who refuses to listen. I cannot comfort him. He has made himself unable to hear my voice. If I spoke to him, he would only hear growlings and roarings. Oh, Adam's son, how cleverly you defend yourself against all that might do you good. This is the great tragedy of humanity. And so, if all of that is true, if the world we live in is shaped by the voice of God, if God's voice brings order to disorder, it fills empty spaces, it brings light to the darkness, if God speaks beauty into ashes, if, as Hebrews says, he upholds the world by the word of his power, if he invites humans to hear and listen, if he enters the world as a human being who the Bible calls the word, as the fullest and clearest and most excellent expression of God's will and desire for humanity. And if the darkness and the chaos and the disorder in my own life that threatens me every single day, the darkness and chaos of the world, of my own heart, the inescapable entropy of all things towards darkness and chaos, 
If that is true, if Moses is right when he writes in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, if Psalm 1 is right, that happy is the man whose delight is in the law, the words, the voice of God, if Psalm 119 is right, that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, if Jesus is right when he concludes the Sermon on the Mount by saying, everyone who hears these words of mine and does what they say is like a man who built his house on the rock, we have one unavoidable conclusion. Life consists in hearing God's voice. Your life consists in hearing God's voice. To hear and heed God's voice is to live. To ignore it, is to die. That's what we're learning from this text. When we ignore God's voice, we descend back towards chaos, emptiness, and darkness. What this means, in the words of Pete Grieg, is that learning to hear God's voice is at the center of all that matters in life. Another person says, learning to hear God's voice is the most important task of a disciple of Jesus. It's not a luxury. It's not an occasional thing. It doesn't require any special spiritual gifts. It's not just for pastors or prophets or holy people. It's for every single person. And this story of God's voice culminates in Jesus. And Jesus gathers around his disciples right before he's going to be crucified, and he says these words, which you're going to hear me say a thousand times between now and December. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Hearing God's voice is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Hearing and heeding the voice of God. To hear God's voice is to listen to Jesus. Everything God has ever said is summarized in the person of Jesus who says, I am the good shepherd and my sheep hear my voice. What this means, I think, is that we can hear his voice. Jesus is speaking and we can hear his voice. We can listen. We can respond. We can follow. And yet our tendency is to ignore to plug our ears, to listen to other voices as we see through the entire story of the Bible. Listening to God is something we must learn to do on purpose with every fiber of our being if we want to have life. Last year, we spent the whole year on the biblical theme of rest followed by the practice of Sabbath. This year's theme is equally expansive, equally central. Last year, I said rest was a top three theme. I'll say this is a top two theme. Just kidding. Top third. Top three. And it's important to remember as we go through this entire series, this caveat I gave in the middle, that we're not primarily talking about an audible voice or even specific words. What we're talking about is discerning the presence and intention of God for us and for the world in a given moment. And we need to grow in our understanding of how God speaks and how we can listen. And that's our goal for this year, is to become people who receive and respond, who hear and heed the way that God expresses himself in the world. And to do this, we have to do two things. Clay has told me this, like, for years. You have to believe two things. One, that God is speaking, and two, that you can listen. 
You're going to hear me say those things a lot as well. And we want to become more confident and competent in listening and responding, hearing and heeding God's voice that gives life. This sermon series is six sermons. We're going to explore this in the biblical story. We're going to walk through next week. We're going to look at the, the Torah. Then we're going to look at the historical books. Then we're going to look at the prophets. Then we'll look at the gospel, and we'll finish up in the book of Hebrews over these next six weeks. And I want you to see and understand that what the Bible tells us is that God speaking and humans listening is normal. It's the way God designed the world to work and that we should seek and pursue that. And then we'll come back in the summer and we'll do a sermon series walking through specific practices associated with listening to that voice of God. We're not gonna answer all, the, all your questions. In fact, the more I've thought about this, the more I've realized I'm gonna stir up way more way more questions than answers, but I want to draw your attention to the reality of God's speech and the absolute necessity of listening. And the mess that's my life, my kid's life, my daily life, my, my desk, my office, the decay around me, I need the voice of God. And so do you. Let's pray. Father, we invite your voice now in our own hearts through your written word, through the words that we'll sing and as we come to the table through the bread and the cup presented to us. Lord, may we listen so that we may hear and respond. We may do what you commanded the Israelites to hear, O Israel. Let us know your life-giving voice. May each person in this room believe, seek, respond, listen, hear, and find life through your voice. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.